0: Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. How's everyone doing today? Thanks for joining us. Labor Day weekend. Um, I always sign up for the weekends that people aren't supposed to be here, and you keep showing up. So, uh, but here, here you are, and uh, I'm grateful for it. And uh, we're going to finish off our series in Matthew. So we've been doing a devotion. Uh, if you wanted to join in too late, it's over. Um, but <laughs> you can always go back and read. Uh, some, some of the staff members and other key volunteers have volunteered to write something up as we went through a chapter each day. And so we've been doing this for uh, pretty much the entire month. Uh, and every day we've been reading a chapter and then someone would share their thoughts on it. And today we're, we're, we're capping that off. We're finishing up that whole uh, endeavor. And we're going to talk about the very end of Matthew today. I thought it was fitting to finish off the Gospel of Matthew with the the final part of Matthew. And so uh, we're going to look at that passage today and read through it and talk about it um, in a moment. But let's pray first. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the message that we've been reading together as as a congregation of people that we've been studying what you've done for us, how you came to be with us, and how you dwelt uh, on earth, and you put on flesh, and you lived a life, and you you performed miracles, and you taught things, and, and you lived just this incredible life, and you raised disciples, and ultimately and you end up dying for us and, and rising again for us. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that as we've gone through this, that we don't, take it for granted just because we've heard the story so many times, but we just remember and are in awe of who you are and how great you are and how much you love us and, and in return how much we should be loving you. So God, I pray, Lord, that you help us, captivate us with your story, with your gospel message. There's good news that we have in you. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that you take this service. This is your time. We give it over to you as that you uh, move in us. Holy Spirit, dwell in this place and help us uh, learn and grow in our relationship with you. We love you, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to read the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore Go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Who's heard this before? Well, hopefully, you guys all were doing your devotions, right? We just did this one, right? No, this is uh, often referred to as the Great Commission. Uh, This is Jesus' final words at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and did anyone else kind of picture Jesus ascending into heaven while he's saying these things? Like he's like, oh wait, one last thing, you know, and he's just floating up and he has one last. I don't know. I always pictured that, but nowhere in the gospel of Matthew does it say Jesus was floating up to heaven when he said this. Um, but yeah, so this is, this is Jesus's final message to his disciples before he sends into heaven, according to Matthew. Uh, and so one of the things I want to say before we like work through the passage and before we work through and, and talk about each individual part, um, I want to talk about this, this passage and what it's done. Um, this, this has been probably the most influential piece of scripture in the past like 300 years. The evangelical movement, all the revivals, everything has been centered around these words. Uh, most modern-day churches have at the, the center of their church a mission and a vision, and th- that mission and a vision is derived from this passage. Our own church and all the real-life churches, as far as I know, have a mission and vision statement that's derived from this passage. Just about everything for the last like 300 years has been centered around what Jesus says to his, uh, his disciples here And it has impacted the way we do church and Christianity, at least here in America. And I'm not here to tell you that I think that's wrong or that this passage isn't important. I think both of those things are great. I think it's great that we center so much of what we do around this passage. And I believe that this is a hugely important passage and an important thing that Jesus said I think all of the things that Jesus said were important, but I think this was one of those key moments that we really need to focus in and we need to work on together. However, I think sometimes we tend to lift this passage up on a pedestal and exalt it above all other passages, all the other things Jesus said, that this somehow supersedes the things that Jesus had said and done before, and I disagree with that. I don't think this passage becomes more important than any of them. In fact, if you look back to Matthew 22, somebody asked the, good, the great question that we were all hoping someone would ask him and said, hey, Jesus, what's the most important thing? If I'm going to do one thing, what would you have me... If there's one thing that I need to be making sure I do, and Jesus tells him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus cheats and answers with two, so, but he gives them two commands, and so that's, that's six chapters before this, and yet sometimes I think we let this commission, the great commission, overshadow the great commandment, and here's the problem with that. Most of us in this room, you might be, I'm a good Christian. I know that I need to love God, and I need to love others. But the problem is when the church movement happens and we have all these revivals and, and all these, this evangelical spread, it's, it's great in a lot of ways. However, when we make the focal point about going and making disciples and we forget about the love, then at best we become a pyramid scheme. At worst, we become a cult. The love is what sets us apart from all those other things. The love is what keeps us focused in around God and relationship. We can't forget the love. It has to be a part of this. When Jesus is giving this command, he's doing it to his disciples after he had taught them so many things. He's not saying, hey, now that you have heard my voice, go and make disciples. No, he's saying, after everything that I've done with you, go and make disciples. So we, in our modern day era, if we want to center our church around this passage, I think that's, that's great. It's a good thing to do. However, we cannot forget all the other things that Jesus said and did. We can't forget all the other things that are a part of Scripture. We can't just omit that stuff and just focus in on, we're supposed to go and make disciples because sometimes we get the tendency, and maybe you've been burned by this before, that all we're supposed to do is go and get people to come here. But Jesus says, No, we're supposed to go love God with everything we have. We're supposed to love our neighbors, and we're supposed to serve. We're supposed to sacrifice. We're supposed to humble ourselves. We're supposed to do all these things. And as we do that, we will go and make disciples. But it's built on everything else before it. And so I I want us to prioritize the right thing. If we're prioritizing the commission over the commandment, like I said, we at best become a pyramid scheme. At worst, we become a cult. And I don't want us to do that. I want us to be a church. And as a church, we need to remember love. The great commandment that we are supposed to love God with everything we have and love our neighbor as ourselves. Is that clear? Are we good on that? All right. So let's, let's go and make disciples, but in the name of love. All right. So let's work through this passage. As we move through it, uh, I'm just going to highlight something. This is what, kind of what we were doing. We were reading a, a chapter in the Bible, and then we were just kind of highlighting the things that stuck out to us. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. Uh, The first thing that I notice in this passage is it says right off in the beginning, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. How many people went? That wasn't enough. Come on, guys. It's on the screen. How many people went? (laughs) 11! 11 people went to the mountain that Jesus had directed them, and who were those 11 people? The disciples. Now, Jesus didn't tell Mary and all the other women that were a part of it. He didn't tell the 120 that were in the upper room at the beginning of Acts. He didn't tell the 500 people that saw the resurrected Jesus. He didn't tell the 5,000 people he fed that one day. He didn't tell the multitudes that gathered and saw and heard what he would do and say, no, he told the 11 disciples to go meet him on the mountain. That's who he told to meet him. And that's who heard this passage of scripture. I say this because it's hugely important that we understand who this this these verses who they were directed to. They were not directed to just anybody. They weren't directed to anyone that even walked with Jesus for a while. They were directed only to the 11 that had walked with him since they they were called by him. So for Most of us understand that it's probably around three years that Jesus spent with these. It's only to those guys that were with him for those three years that helped him in ministry, that heard all the teachings that he had, that he has already prepared and sent off a few times to to perform miracles themselves. It's only to those 11 that he says, meet me at this mountain, and only to those 11 that the rest of this passage is meant for. Now, that doesn't mean I'm saying that, that that means we don't need to listen to this. It was only for them. No, I, I believe it's meant for us as well, but only if for his disciples. And I think that's important because I think sometimes we, we hear this passage or, again, in the modern evangelical movement, we, we talk about going and making disciples. And as soon as you say some prayer and say, Jesus, come into my heart, suddenly someone says, okay, now it's your job to go do the same. And I think we skip a step there. I think there was a whole long pro- no, I know, there was a whole long process that Jesus did with his disciples before he got to saying, "Hey, go and make disciples." He wanted them to learn, to grow, to become disciples themselves so that they could understand what He was about and what He's looking for in a disciple. How are you supposed to help people make or how are you supposed to make disciples and help people become disciples of Jesus if you're not one yourself? you don't even know what that means for you how are you supposed to help someone else do it so he is only speaking to the 11 disciples who he prearranged and said hey go meet me and i will share with these this final passage with you this these final words but it's meant for you so what i'm going to tell you is like that's for those of you in this room that aren't necessarily disciples yet you wouldn't consider yourself you're like you're this is all new to you you haven't grown in your faith yet you're not off the hook you have a responsibility still you have to grow that's your responsibility grow in your relationship with jesus become a disciple of jesus that's that's what you're supposed to be and if you're looking at me and the other leaders of this church and thinking okay it's our job to make you grow you're wrong We can try to help you, we'll support you, we'll encourage you, we'll pray for you, but I am powerless to make you grow in your relationship with God. I am incapable of making that happen for you. You have to do that. That is your responsibility. And you have to take that, and you have to run with it, and you have to grow in your relationship with God, and you have to be intentional about that. I think it's great. All of you have done one important step today. One of the things that helps you grow in your relationship with God is go be amongst a fellowship of believers. Good job. You did it. But if you think this is it, you're wrong. You can come and be entertained and have a good message and have some good worship and not grow at all. This, this service, as well as we can possibly do it, could be meaningless for you if you're not intentional about growing in your relationship with God. If you're not intentional about listening, taking notes, and applying it in your life. We can sing great worship, but if you're not going to go before the feet of God and, and praise his name and actually think about who he is and why you're worshiping him, then maybe it won't mean much to you. It's your responsibility to grow in your relationship with God. And that's, that's what I would call all of you. If you're not one of the 11 disciples, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, then you have a responsibility of growing in your relationship with God. There's... Most of you probably already know how to do that. You've got to read. That's what this whole series has been about. We wanted to encourage our congregation to be reading the Bible. We want us all to like, get the habit down of reading our Bible every day. That's a good way for us to intentionally grow in our relationship with God. If you're not encountering Scripture, even if it's just a small portion of it each and every day, then you're missing out and you're not growing as well as you could. If you're not part of a fellowship of believers... So coming to church is great, but we we here at Real Life, we believe in small groups because we think that while you can come to church and hear a good message, that doesn't necessarily mean you're interacting with other people. And we want you to have a space where you can grow with people and wrestle with Scripture together and wrestle through life together. And that's why we have so many small groups. Even our children's ministry does small groups because we believe in this, that we are better together if we grow and we work our relationship with God out together. We have home groups and they're starting up next week, uh, next Sunday, I'm, I'm going to kick off the home groups that were here last year and then I'm going to start next, the 18th of Monday, I'm going to start new groups and you can sign up for that and you can come and join a bunch of other people that want to be involved in relational discipleship. Because that's what we believe, we want to grow together, you want to grow in your relationship with God so that eventually you can go in your relationship with God, then join a home group, be a part of that. Read your Bible, worship, come to church and and interact with other believers and and grow and pray. That's That's another big one. Be committed to prayer. So if you're not a disciple yet, your responsibility is to grow. If you are a disciple, your responsibility is to go. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean, oh, okay, everybody get out of here. No, that, that doesn't also mean that, oh, you have to move. Everybody in here that's a disciple of Jesus, sorry, you've got to go move somewhere. No, we, we, there's plenty of people that need the gospel message here in Pullman. But as you go, as you live your life, as you move about your life and you go into your place of work, into your group of friends, even to your family, make disciples. Don't forget... That's on the basis of everything else that we've, we've read and studied so far in the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus said all of this at the very end of everything that he did. So don't forget the love. Don't forget that the greatest thing you can do is love God and love others. So when you're making disciples, don't make it like this goal that, oh, okay, I just got to get you to believe or say some prayer or come to my church. No, no, no. You've got to love people. You've got to care for them. You've got to walk alongside them, just like Jesus did for his disciples, and just like probably someone did for you. If you're a disciple of Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm positive that someone has walked alongside you and helped you understand what that means. And now it's your responsibility to do the same for the others. So everybody in this room has a responsibility if you believe in Jesus. You're either supposed to grow, or you're supposed to go. See what I did there? Yeah, you got it? Yeah, okay. So, wherever you're at, and for those of us who go, we're, we're disciples, I think most of us understand this too, we're never supposed to stop growing. It's not like, okay, I got to that place where I never have to grow anymore in my relationship with God. Ron, you're, you've been around Jesus a long time. Have you ever stopped growing or needing to grow? <laughs> no. No, you, you keep going. If Ron hasn't stopped, if he hasn't reached that point, then none of us have, Okay. So we all have the responsibility to keep growing. All right, so the next part. He, he meets them. Again, this is risen Jesus. This is resurrected Jesus. He's meeting them at the mountain that he told them. And they all saw him. They worshiped him. But some doubted. I just love that.
1: <laughs>
0: I love that Matthew included this. I'm wondering if Matthew was like trying to throw shade at some of the other disciples. Like, Thomas, man, is still doubting Jesus. You know, like, I don't know what he means by this, but I think it's hugely important that it's written there because it means that doubt doesn't disqualify you from what God is calling you to do. And I love that some of them doubted, and Jesus still comes and meets them. Jesus still has these words for them. So if you're struggling and wrestling with doubt, which I'm sure you are, because all of us are, That doesn't mean that you can't be a part of what God's here to do. That doesn't mean you can't go and make disciples. In fact, I think a necessary part of faith is doubt. Just like a necessary part of bravery is fear. You know, we we have to have something to overcome to believe. And so we're going to have doubt. We're going to wrestle with doubt. And that's okay because the disciples have walked with Jesus and now are face-to-face with the resurrected Jesus. And yet still some of them doubt. There's still a little seed of doubt in there. That's okay. And one of the things I'll say with this too, I like that Matthew's being honest about it. I think we need to be honest about it too. I think sometimes the world gets an impression of Christianity that we don't doubt anything at all. And I think that that makes it hard for people to really accept Jesus themselves because they think that they have to have no doubt whatsoever to be part of this community of believers. But as I'm pretty sure all of us would admit, every single one of us has some doubt. And I think one of the best things we can do is be honest about it. I, I, the, probably the biggest compliment I ever get whenever I preach is I'm, I'm authentic and honest with all of you. You come up and tell me that. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's kind of God's telling me what to say, and I just say it. But all of us need to do that as well. So as you're going and making disciples, it's okay to let people know that you're not completely sure of everything, that there are pieces of doubt in you. I think people will respect that authenticity, will respect that honesty, and it'll help them wrestle with you about faith. And it'll help them know that, oh, okay, I don't have to be absolutely certain of everything to believe. So anyway, then we move on. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I I just read this recently in a book that I was reading and it was talking about the root word of authority, which i never really thought about before, but the root word of authority is author. And so Jesus is saying that I have authority. All of the authority is on me. And do you know why? Because he's the author. He's the creator. He's the one that wrote this story. It's his story and he has authority over it. If you're the author of a story, of a story, you have the right to tell how it goes. You have the authority to write what is supposed to be said and what's supposed to be done in the story. And Jesus is saying, I am the author and I have the authority in everywhere. In heaven and on earth. I have all the authority. It's my story. I wrote it. I have authority over all of it. It's all been given to me. And notice this. He doesn't say, all authority has been given to me, so now I'm giving you authority. You now have authority. Peter, this is your authority now. No, he says, all authority has been given to me, now go. He's telling them to take his authority with them as they go and make disciples. It's not our authority that is established. It's Jesus' authority that is established. And this is important because... When Peter makes disciples, he doesn't make disciples of himself, does he? He makes disciples of Jesus. And so on and so forth. And those 11 disciples made more disciples and more disciples. And eventually, it got to us. And we're not disciples of the people that taught us. We're disciples of Jesus as well. Because it's his story and it's his authority. And we're supposed to make disciples not of ourselves, but of him. So it all centers around him and who he is because it's his story. He has authority over it. And he is, help, he is giving us that authority, but it's his authority, not ours. Does that make sense? So when you go out, and we're talking about making disciples and your responsibility is to love God and love others and be in your context and serve the community around you and, and walk alongside people and go through mess with people, when you're supposed to be doing that, you're not doing that under your own authority because it's not your story. You're doing that under his. And that should, that should, there should be some weight on that. Like you should feel a little bit of weight. Okay, that, that's a lot of responsibility. This is Jesus's authority. But that also should lift some weight that it's his story, not yours. Sometimes I think we insert ourselves into the main character role. And because of that, we really think we can screw everything up. I'm sorry, you're not that important. you can make a lot of mistakes and you could probably screw your own life and some other people's lives up, but you're not going to screw up Jesus's story because he's the main character. He has the authority. It's all centered around him. So when we go and we make disciples, we need to understand that, while yes, we have the responsibility of, of going out with his authority. We also have the ability to know that, okay, this is really his story. I have to remember that all the time. As a pastor, sometimes I put too much weight on myself when I'm hanging out with, with people and I, I feel the tension of, I need you to believe in Jesus. I have 30 minutes or so to stand up here and deliver a message. There's a lot of weight on me that's like, oh, you better do this right. That's why I'm always nervous all the time. And I got I to gotta say the right things. I got to do this right or else you're going to walk out of here and, and you're not going to do what God's called you to do but you see, I'm putting too much weight on myself. It's not my story. It's Jesus's story. He's called me here to be in this moment, to talk to all of you, just like he's calling all of you, you disciples, to go and be a part of your context and just how Jesus has impacted your life, what he's done for you, and what this means to you. So, it's his authority, it's his story, and we, we can bear the responsibility of that, but we also understand that that's a huge weight lifted because it's all about him, not about us. Next thing that he says to them is, uh, go and make disciples and baptize them. Therefore, go, make disciples and baptize them in the, name of the Je- in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Notice he does not say, and now go, and say a prayer with them. Another thing that we've we've done in our modern evangelical movement is we boil down faith into some simple prayer that's actually never recorded in Scripture. And I'm not saying, if you're one of those people that's like, I said that prayer. I said that prayer too. I'm not saying it wasn't good enough. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is that that's not what Jesus called them to do. He says, baptize them. That... What I'm calling you to do is go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizo, that, that Greek word means to immerse, immerse them. And what he's talking about is this symbolic relationship where Jesus died for us and was buried and resurrected, and now he's calling us to, to symbolically go through the same, to be buried with Christ and re- raise up again. And that's what baptism symbolizes. That's what we're doing when we do that, when we, when we get Baptized. He's calling them to do that, that all believers, all disciples need to get baptized. Just so you know, that's, that's pretty easy. Like, this is the interchange right there, that Jesus is saying, I'm going to die on a cross for you, but to be my disciple, you don't have to get nailed to a cross. You don't have to follow me right there. All I'm going to ask you to do is get wet in front of a group of people. That's, pretty, that's a pretty good deal. And I'm not so... This is where the debate comes, and like, people rage over this, like whether or not, if you don't get baptized, are you saved, and the thief on the cross, and this, it's a battle back and forth. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that if you don't get baptized, you're not saved. I'm not here to argue that, but I do question your faith. I do question your, your faith in God, because that's what I believe saves us, is our faith in Christ, and I question your faith in Christ if you're not willing to get baptized, If you can say, I believe in Jesus and he hung naked on a cross for me, but I'm not willing to get in front of a group of people and get wet in front of them. I question whether or not you really believe in that Jesus that hung naked on a cross for you. I think we all need to be baptized. I think it's hugely important and symbolic. And one of the things that I was talking with Kelly about this, and it was brought up in college and stuff, is that baptism is kind of like the wedding ceremony. Yeah, you can have a relationship with someone and you can get married, but we do this ceremony in front of a group of witnesses so that everybody can know and hold us accountable to the commitment that we're making. We do that all the time, like a wedding ceremony that lets everybody in our group, our community, know that we are committing to each other. That's what like baptism is for us and Jesus. And so you're saying, hey, Jesus, I want a relationship with you, but I want to keep it on the down low. I don't want anyone to really know about that. So get baptized. Get baptized. If if you're a disciple of Christ and you believe in Jesus, get baptized. All right. Next thing. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is often referred to as the great omission. And teaching them, this is verse 20, to obey everything I have commanded you. Remember, Jesus is saying this to the 11 disciples. He has told them all, hey, I, I'm going to walk with you. He called them, called them by name, and they started following him. And he walked with them. He taught them many things, including the greatest commandment. He he would sit down with them and talk with them. And there's probably so much more that's not recorded in the gospels of what Jesus did with his disciples. They saw him perform miracles, and he even got to participate in it. And this isn't even the first time that he sent them out. In Matthew chapter 10, he sends them out before that. So Jesus has been training them and equipping them to be his disciples. He's been teaching them so much so that he can tell them, now go and make disciples. And they know what that means because they themselves are disciples. And now they understand, okay, now I'm going to go help make disciples of Jesus just like Jesus helped me become a disciple of Jesus. And he tells them that after you make the disciple and you baptize them, your job is done. You never have to talk to them again. No. No. Unfortunately, again, I think in our modern evangelical and, and, and revival movement, and this, again, I'm not trying to belittle that, but I am trying to point out that we've been missing parts of what Jesus has been calling us to do. I think we've been falling short here as a community of believers that we need to make sure that when people believe in Christ and they say that prayer and they get baptized, our job is not finished, our job begins that's where it starts as disciples of Christ, we're supposed to be helping people grow from that point on. This passage is often used as a, 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 a passage that we're supposed to get out of here and go find other people. But there's people that need to grow right here right now. And I'm not overlooking you. I think you're important, too. I think I want to help you grow in your relationship. That's literally my job. That's why I wanted to become the discipleship pastor was to help all of you grow. Because I think the best thing we can do for this community is be faithful followers of Christ ourselves. I think if we genuinely are fully passionate in love with Christ, our message will go out naturally. I don't need to teach you tips and tricks. I think all I need to do is get you on fire for Jesus, and it will emanate from this place. So, that's what we're here to do, to teach, to grow, to, to equip each other. So disciples, those of you who are in this group, this area, that's, you're a disciple of Christ, you're a follower of Christ, you've already been trained. Remember, you're still supposed to keep growing, but you're supposed to also help those in this community that need to grow. Again, one of the great places that Home Groups works because we get a group full of people that are all in different stages of their journey with God. And it's so cool. For the people that have been walking with God for a long time, they can help the people that are just starting it out. But it's also really cool the other way around because the people just starting it out are learning all these new things and it's like this super cool experience where they're like, oh, this is, this is cool about Jesus. And, and sometimes it's nice for people like myself that have walked with Jesus their whole life and like, oh, yeah, that is really cool. I can't believe that I forgot how cool that is. And sometimes it's really good and revitalizing to my faith to be around somebody that's just learning this to begin with. We're built for a relationship, and we can work on that together. So those of us that are followers of Christ, disciple makers, we're supposed to go and make disciples, baptize people, and then teach, to equip, to walk alongside, to help, to encourage. That's a big one. Encourage. Be honest with That's our responsibility. There's plenty of people that need your help in growing, and your job does not end when they get baptized. Your job just begins then. And then the final part of this, and I love this, and don't forget it. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And you know what that always means? Always. That's what it means. Not when you're doing well. Not when you're in church, not when two or more are gathered in his name, not when you're not struggling with sin. That was confusing, but what I mean is sometimes I think we, we lose Jesus when we start struggling with sin or temptation or we're failing. Jesus still says, always, always, everyone say it back, always, always. So this is one of the biggest, and this is so key, because I'm sure if you've been walking, if you're a disciple of Christ, you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, I'm sure you've been tempted to believe you're alone. I'm sure you've been tempted to believe that Jesus doesn't love you anymore because of the mistakes that you made. I'm sure you've been called out in your heart that this doesn't belong to you anymore. His love doesn't, doesn't mean anything for you anymore because you're too broken, you're too sinful. We have to hang on to this hope. Jesus is equipping his disciples, go and make more disciples. And he's saying, but don't forget, I am with you. How often is he with them? Always. Always. I am with you always. We have to cling to that. We have to hold fast to that. We have to know that. So, Jesus, with his authority, all the authority that Jesus has in heaven and on earth, Everyone in this room, go, or grow, or both, in your relationship with God. Go and make disciples. Baptize them and teach them. Love them. Help them. Encourage them. And don't forget that He is always with you. You are now commissioned. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.